0: Can we welcome everybody tuning in from our Lawrenceburg campus, our Shoals campus, and online with us. We're so grateful that you're joining us for church this morning. Well, my name is Braden Benvenuti. If you don't know me, I lead the Young Adult Ministry here in Florence. It's my honor to be bringing the word this morning. I'm super excited. I feel like God really laid something on my heart to share with you this morning. And so I hope you came prepared and ready. We recently finished up a series called Gambling with God. Where we looked, Pastor Steve looked at gambling and compared that to our relationship with God. And if you miss any of of those sermons, if you missed last week, I would encourage you go back, watch those sermons. Pastor Steve does an incredible job um, of just giving relatable uh, sermons, and it's just going to bless you. So I'd encourage you if you miss any of that, go back and watch it, um, and you will be grateful you did. But hey, this is my second time this morning uh, on a Sunday morning preaching. And so the last time, Pastor Steve, he kind of told me what to preach about. You know, it was my first time. He's like, hey, you preach about this. That way he didn't have to worry I'd say anything crazy. (laughs) This Sunday, he told me I could preach about what I want. So we'll see if I'm invited back for a third Sunday morning. (laughs) So this morning I have a question for us. What is the most valuable item you own? Think about that for a second. What is the most valuable item that you own? I thought about it um, for about three seconds because it didn't take very long on the short list of valuable items I have. And I was like, probably my car is the most valuable and there's not much value to that. Um, And so I moved on. I was like, there's gotta be a better example. What is the most valuable thing in the world? I was like, my my car isn't gonna do it. So I, I looked at our trusty friend, Google, and I was like, I gotta find what are the most valuable things people are saying are in this world. And so I got a little list for you that I wanna share. Um, and it kind of blew my mind, a few of these, of, of how valuable, how pricey some of the thing, these things are. The first item on the list, anybody heard of Kanye West before? Kanye West has his Yeezy brand. And so he had a pair of Nike Air Yeezy One prototypes back in 2008, wore them in the Grammys. So they're, they're I mean, anybody wants their hands on them. They sold last year for $1.8 million. A pair of shoes for 1.8 million dollars. More money than I'll ever see for a pair of shoes. Absolutely insane. The next thing on this list, you know it has gotta be on there, a special car. If you know it, I'm surprised because I had no idea. But a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO. No idea what the numbers and letters mean, but it must mean it's valuable because it sold for 70 million dollars. A car just to get from one place to another, seventy million dollars. Yeah, right. Who here in the building has used eBay before? Yeah. eBay, uh, popular website auctioning things off, reselling used items. Well, some items doesn't it doesn't matter if they're used because apparently they're still worth something. And so, a 405-foot yacht was sold on eBay for 107 million dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a boat, let alone a $107 million boat. And the last thing on this list, the most expensive house in the world, Buckingham Palace, estimated to be worth $3 billion. $3 billion for a house. And so what do all these items have in common? It's pretty easy to, to tell. All these items have very high prices. Right? They're said to be valuable because of their price. We got the supercar, the, the mansions, the designer brands, all these things with high prices. And people put these prices on them and they're like, hey, this, I would pay this much money. Someone paid $1.8 million for the pair of shoes, meaning that's, they were valuable because that person was willing to pay that price. And so what determines the value of these items is their price. And we can venture to say that the higher the price, the higher the value, right? The higher the price, the higher the value. But what if I told you that this wasn't necessarily the case? What if I told you that this this isn't always true? That actually an item with no price can be more valuable than anything on that list? You see, because we have things like the Mona Lisa, right? One of the most famous paintings in the world. People travel everywhere across the world to come look at this painting. And there's no price on it, but it is seen as more valuable than any of these other items. You got the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China, the Pyramids of Egypt, right? Some of the seven wonders of the world that that can't be recreated, can't be bought. There's no price to be put on them because of their rich history and value on them, right? You have Michelangelo's sculpture of David, one of the most famous sculptures in the world. And it is said about this sculpture, it says what Michelangelo gave to the city of Florence and the, sorry, not this Florence, Florence, Italy, and the world with this treasure cannot be measured in something as crass and insubstantial as money, as it will forever remain a testament to the creative mastery of a genius and the enduring power of art to amaze and inspire us. You see, these items are what we call priceless. This word kind of confused me when I was younger. You know, any type of word or phrase you kind of think about for a long time and then you just kind of confuse yourself. Like I was thinking about priceless and I'm like, if it's priceless, then how can it be valuable? There should be a price, right? The Mona Lisa should be worth billions of dollars if it's so valuable. It didn't make sense to me. But what I didn't understand was that priceless items are so valuable that no price could be attributed to them. They're so valuable that there's no no price that anyone could agree on to put on because like the quote about David's sculpture, Michelangelo's sculpture, it says that it cannot be measured by something as crass and insubstantial as just paper, as just green paper. So you might be like, Braden, what does this have to do with me? I'm glad you asked because I have the answer. You see, this priceless principle applies to a relationship with God. This priceless principle applies to your relationship with God. These high priced items, right, are said to have value. But yet then these items with no price are said to have even more value, which just kind of makes it hard then for us to translate this priceless principle to our spiritual life. And here's why, Paul, he opens up this conversation about this priceless principle. In Philippians chapter three, Paul is, he begins, he's talking about the things that maybe he, we can sometimes find valuable, the things that we do, our own efforts. We can sometimes have confidence in ourselves. And so Paul, he opens up in verse four, Philippians chapter three, verses four, he says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. You see, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. You might be like, what are all these things you just listed? Well, well, Paul, before he came to know Christ, he was a Jewish Pharisee. He, he followed the Jewish law. Circumcision was very important, right? The, all these things, being a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, being a part of the tribe of Benjamin, these things were seen as the most, like, this is what's going to get you in. This is what's going to keep you righteous, right? He said he kept the law without fault. And you see, what Paul's doing is he's recognizing here our human tendency to sometimes ro- rely on our own efforts, to, have, to try and have confidence in the things that we do. And it's very easy for us to do this. This idea of, of having confidence in our own efforts, of, of doing things in our own strength, this idea is reinforced by the world. You see, because everything in our world has a price. And a price requires what to buy it? money. And how do we get money? We have to work and earn our money in order to reach those prices. That's how the world works. That's how the economy works. We don't, we don't just get groceries, right? That would be nice. We don't just get free gas. That would be even nicer. You see, we have to make money with our work to earn these things. We focus on prices so much. It's been ingrained in us since almost we're born. I was looking at some statistics about shopping. Who, any shoppers in the, in the building? I think there's more. I'm a shopper, I'll admit it, I, I shop, I like to. This statistic says 59% of shoppers use their mobile devices in store to compare prices and research deals and coupons. So 60% of us that go shopping, we're not only looking at the price tag in front of us, Then we're going to a secondary source to look at even more prices to compare what we can get. We want the most bang for our buck, right? We want our money to go a long way. And so, well, if this is that expensive, I can't afford that. Well, oh, this price, this deal's better. So I'll go here. I'll get two this time. Like we're so worried about the price and trying to get as much as we can get the cheapest price get maybe you want to get the most expensive price because you want the the overvalued things you you want the designer brands right we're looking at the price tags everywhere and with christmas coming up anyone like me and haven't started your christmas shopping those are my people procrastinating a little bit. But, but Christmas season, holiday season is one of the most expensive times of the year because not only do we have to go about life and we have our bills, we have our, our standard of living we gotta keep up. And then on top of that, you gotta buy gifts for your kids, for your family, for your spouse, for your friends. You gotta buy food for your family get-togethers. right? It, the, the price in the holiday season moves up astronomically. And some of us, we, we might have to, to work extra hours Right, work overtime, pick up extra shifts, work on some side gigs to make more money. To, we gotta work hard to get the things our children want. Right? We gotta work hard to get the things our loved ones want because we wanna, we wanna get them those gifts. We wanna give them what they want and there's a certain price to those gifts. And it takes our work to get those. And you see, it's hard to believe anything is priceless when we live in a price-full world. It's hard to believe because that's all we know. And so what, va- what determines the value of something if it's not the price, right? If there's priceless items worth, are more valuable than, than items worth millions, what determines the value? I'd like to look at what Jesus said, if that's okay, because I feel like Jesus has the answer to these questions uh, because we sometimes, we wanna answer these questions on our own and that's, that's where we, we go wrong and we're led astray because we us trying to figure it out on our, on our own, then we're, we're left to decide what we want. But you see, Jesus has a specific response to this idea of what determines value. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 43, Jesus teaches his disciples a very important lesson. It starts in verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And you might be like, how is this possible that this poor widow gave more clearly? Like you got these rich guys, they got their bag, they're coming. They got a bag full of coins. They're like, look at all these gold coins, bro. How much you got? I got this. I got this much. They drop it. They want people to see them, right? Cause they care about the price they're giving. And then this poor widow, I, I imagine she's probably old. She, she's probably l- missing her husband. And she comes in with all, all she has is two of the most, like it's almost two pennies. Like it's worth almost nothing. But it's all she has and she brings it and she drops it in and people probably don't even bat an eye. And the people that are due are judging her and being like, you're not even giving anything. So how could she have given more? How could she possibly have given more? What we can find here is Jesus is trying to teach us, trying to tell us that it's not about the dollar amount. You see, there can't be a price tag attributed to sacrificing everything you have. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's not about the price. It's about the sacrifice. It's not about the price. It's about the sacrifice. What have you sacrificed? Are we more like the rich guys trying to, to do in our own strength and, and, and give what isn't a sacrifice, we're just trying to reach the high price and, and do the good things, serve and, and be a good person do, and, and rely on our own strength? Or are we gonna sacrifice everything we have? You see, this is what is priceless. This is what Jesus did for us. Just like the poor widow, Jesus sacrificed everything for us, that's what is priceless. But yet we so bad, we wanna make things about the price. We still so bad wanna resort back to it because that's what makes sense in our mind. It's easy, it's comfortable. If I just rely on what I do, I know what I'm doing and it's good enough and it makes us comfortable. It puts us at ease we care about the price. I remember when I was in middle school, I was about sixth grade. I I was realizing the age 16 was was coming upon me and and I wanted to have a car when I turned 16. I knew I was going to get my driver's license and I wanted a car that day to be able to drive because I wasn't going to be one of those losers that had their driver's license but wasn't driving nowhere. (laughs) And so in that moment, I knew I need to start saving money. I need to have money to buy a car thankfully my parents said hey you save up all you can and we'll match whatever you save up and we'll help you buy a very old used car. If you knew my first car, you would know it wasn't a lot. But, and so from that moment on, I was like, all right, I gotta save money. And so I was doing, doing chores, doing things around the house. What can I do to make money? Uh, and I was cutting grass in the summers at my freshman and sophomore year. I was saving Christmas money, saving birthday money. Right? I was doing all this work myself because I knew I had to reach the price of the car I wanted. Right? I had a goal of $1,500 And I wanted to do the work to reach that goal so then I could buy the car. And nobody was just gonna give me a car, right? When you turn 16, you don't magically get a car. So I remember summer after summer, weeks after weeks, mowing yards in the 98 degree Alabama heat, knowing that I, I had to do this. I had to put in the work to get the money so that I can earn the car. You see, this mentality is how we are with everything. But what I want us to know is that the gospel is the complete opposite. The gospel is priceless. It's not something we have to go in summer after summer and work for and try and earn. I want to circle back now to Philippians chapter three, where Paul continues on this conversation So he he talked, we read the things that we could have confidence in, right? That he could rely on and recognizes that sometimes we, we resort to that. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable. And then he picks up in verse seven of chapter three. He says, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so Paul, he lays it out right here. The most priceless thing. The most valuable thing is having faith. And yet we, we, we think we can, we can earn enough. We, we can do enough because we have that mentality. Uh, something valuable has a high price. And so salvation, we would all say is valuable, right? Where we spend eternity is very valuable. And so then we automatically attribute that same thing to, oh, then it must have a high price I have to earn. And so we constantly think that we, we can earn it. I look, I look at my bank account probably multiple times a day. Is there anyone in, in some days, you look at that thing time and time again. I know in the first week of the month, that's where all the bills come out. And so I'm like, I gotta make sure I got enough money because I'm trying to go out to eat. I'm trying to go shopping too. And so I look at that thing multiple times a day because I'm, I'm looking at the income. I'm looking at the withdrawals. I'm like, do I have enough? In that same way, we, we have our, our life account where we constantly are trying to, to build our account up. Oh, a withdrawal happened, I sinned, I messed up, I wasn't a good person, now it's back down. I gotta reach this, this, this price, and oh, I, I served that other day, or, or I helped that person, now my account's a little higher, and, and then we, we, think that it's, we think we can reach it. But it, we, can't reach, we can't reach a priceless thing. Right? We're gonna keep reaching at nothing. You see, what I want to tell you today, the most important thing is that salvation is priceless. And the only way to attain it is through the currency of faith in Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way to attain it. And you see, Paul understood this. He had an encounter with God that changed his life because he used to think those things he did was valuable. But then he encountered God and then he realized everything that he was doing was actually worthless. And you see, Paul's trying to convey this message to us that, that everything we try and do in our own strength to be enough, it's never going to be enough. We're never going to be able to reach it. We, we're gonna try and save ourselves and we're gonna come up short. Because salvation, the, the only way to attain it is through what? Faith. The currency of faith. Paul continues this conversation. I wanna jump over to, to Romans. Paul also wrote Romans, because he was a, an all-star Christian. He wrote multiple books of the Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You see, we have two choices. And if we focus on, on what we do or, or don't do over what Jesus has already done, we're missing the point. And just like it says in Romans, when we try and, and do things on our own, we're, we're going down the sin path that leads to death. But you see, if we, if we obey God, right, if we shift our focus onto God and what he did, it leads to righteous living. You see, our focus matters. Our focus matters because it's, it's a matter of life or death. Our focus matters. My, my focus has mattered very much in this past month and a half. If you've seen me, um, I've been carrying around a gallon of water, you might be like, what is that crazy dude doing with all that water? I'm drinking it. (laughs) But I'm uh, partaking in this 75 hard challenge. It's a social media kind of discipline, healthy lifestyle challenge, and there's five rules to it. You gotta drink a gallon of water every day. You gotta work out twice a day. One of them's gotta be outside. You gotta read 10 pages of a book every day. Read, why couldn't it be watch TV? I mean, I could do that. You gotta take a progress picture of your body every day, and then you have to choose a diet of some sort, and you have to stick to it all 75 days with no cheat meals. And you see, I, I was kinda excited to do this because I started the challenge with three of my fellow Faith Church staff members and friends, but I am the only one remaining, and I am on day 49, and it is incredibly challenging. And if you would like to know who the three were, just come see me after service and I will let you know who it was. But this challenge is is extremely difficult. It's time consuming, right? I have to plan my day. I have to, I got to work out in the morning, then at lunch, or I got to work out in the morning and at at dinner or in the evening time. I got to work out lunch and then evening. like, and then I got to read and then I got to drink this gallon of water like throughout the whole day. Right, I, I gotta do this, nobody's gonna hand me the accomplishment of this challenge, right? Nobody's gonna be like, hey, you want this badge for the 75 hard challenge? I know you didn't do it, but you can just have the badge. It doesn't work like that, right? I gotta, I gotta do the work, right? Just like I've been saying this whole time, I gotta sit down, right? Who knows that being healthy is hard, working out is hard, exercising, reading is hard, right? These things are difficult to do. You know what's easy? doing nothing, doing nothing leads to being fat, being unhealthy, right? It's hard work to be healthy. If you know me, I used to have a diet of, I see it and I eat it because God blessed me with the metabolism of a tiger. I don't know what it is. And so I've had to, I'm, I'm limiting what I'm eating. It's hard. This is hard work to do. And, but I share this to, to show you that my focus matters because if I'm not careful, I could become a slave to this lifestyle. You see, we can become slaves to good things, right? Being healthy is good. Exercising is good. Reading, great. But if you see, if your focus is just on those things and, and your focus is on the, the selfish reasons that, that these things are, are benefiting you, and, uh, then your focus is gonna be in the wrong area. And some of us become slaves to working out. Some of us become slaves to eating healthy. Some of us become slaves to anything but Jesus. Oh, Our focus matters. You see, everything we offer When our focus is on the wrong thing, everything we offer is worthless. And don't get it twisted. It's not not priceless. There's no price, but it's a $0 price. There's no worth to it. Very different than than a priceless item with value. When we try and do it on our own, when we try and produce our own righteousness, it's just, it's not gonna work out. You see, what I've found out is that self-righteousness does not equal righteousness. Self-righteousness actually equals self-destruction. You see, I've found this in my own life. It's very easy to get in this earning mentality for me. I I grew up and prided myself on good grades throughout all of middle school, high school, and college. I, I was like, if I don't get an A, I'm... I'm terrible, and so I, and I was a good kid. I was so scared to do bad. I was so focused on what I was doing, what I wasn't doing, that, and I was trying so hard to keep my, my status of being Christian. And you see, what happens is when you're in the earning mentality of your salvation, that bleeds into when you're tempted and you fall into sin, then you think you have to defeat sin on your own power. And let me tell you, the only thing to defeat sin is God's power. It's Jesus on the cross. And when, when you keep doing that, then I just found myself like, why can I not stop doing this? It's because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. And so you might think, oh, it's not a bad thing. I'm doing good things. I'm not earning my salvation. I'm just, I gotta do these things. But when you have that mentality, it's gonna lead you to death because you're gonna constantly be struggling with that sin without God's help. You see if we rely on our righteousness it will direct us to our death but if we focus on faith it will lead us to life It will lead us to life There's a guy by the name of Gideon in the Old Testament crazy good leader amazing powerful story you see God called Gideon to lead the Israelite army out from under the, the control of the Midianites. You see the Midianites had, had control over the Israelites. Israelites once again were, were under um, control of another people group and, and can, they were controlled with everything they had. And so it was time God was like, I'm gonna rescue you Israel, called Gideon to lead the Israelites. And so Israelites, uh, Gideon gets his army together. They got 32,000 men and they're gonna go up against the Midianite army which has over 100,000 men. And but Gideon, he accepts the call of God and, and he's like, I got God on my side. I, we got 32,000, that's enough. Even though we're five to one odds, it, we can do it. And so he, he's getting ready. God's like, hold on, you got too many men, too many. And so he tells Gideon, hey, you need to tell your, your army, tell your men, whoever's timid and scared, doesn't wanna fight, this is the time, leave the mountain, go home. 22,000 men leave. And so now Gideon's down to 10,000 people. I would be kind of discouraged if I was Gideon. But he he continues on. He's trusting God. He knows God's on his side. So he's got his 10,000 men and he's like, all right, we're ready. Let's do this. God's like, whoa, slow your roll, bud. You still got too many men. Too many? You know how many, how big the Midianite army is? He's like, you got too many. You need to divide your group into two groups. Have them drink water from the river and keep the group that brings the water up with their hands and tell the group that drinks straight from the river, go home. Only 300 men bring the water up with their hands. And so Gideon's now got 300 men. He's got God on his side. And so he, he's like, all right, let, I mean, 300 men's looking slim, God, but he he's ready. And so he's, ready to do it. And and God's like, one more thing. You're not gonna just attack them. I need all of you to have a ram's horn with you. I need you to have a clay jar over a torch. And you're gonna surround the enemy camp at night. You're gonna all blow the ram's horn. You're gonna break the clay jars and you're gonna light the torches and you're gonna shout for Gideon and for God. And that's gonna do it. At this point, I don't know how Gideon remained faithful because I'd be like, that, 300 men and you want us to, to let them know we're there? <laughs> but Gideon, he, he trusts God. And so he, he goes, he, he takes his men, they surround the, the enemy camp uh, right after midnight, it's dark, they, they blow the ram's horns, they break the jars, they light the torches, they shout. And you know what happens? The whole enemy camp gets so confused God confuses them all from the the sound, the light and the shouting that they start to fight each other and kill each other and the rest just scatter and flee. And you see, God gave victory to the Israelites before they even lifted a sword. And you see, I share this story because Gideon had faith in God. You see, if he would have tried to do, this on his own, if he would have kept as many men as he, as he wanted, if he attacked first, right? These things would have been done in his human effort and would have led to defeat and death. But you see, God wanted to use something different, something Gideon had to have faith in. By having 300 men, crazy, by blowing a ram's horn, Breaking clay jars, light and torches, right? These things Gideon had to have faith in for it to, to come to fruition, for the victory to happen. And Gideon realized the same thing Paul did, that having faith in God is priceless. You see this, this story of Gideon and the Israelites, it, it's a picture, a representation of salvation. Because Gideon and the Israelites, the only way that they had victory was through God's power. And the only way today that we can have victory over death and we can have life is through God's power. God's power through Jesus on the cross is the only way that we can enter the kingdom. I have one of the most important equations for us to know. Any math people out there? We are few. Here it is. Faith in Jesus minus our self-righteousness equals priceless salvation. It's the most important equation you'll know. Faith in Jesus, get rid of your self-righteousness and that'll equal the priceless salvation. See, so I hope we know that what is priceless? And that's, that's knowing Jesus. That's having faith in him. But what does knowing Jesus look like? I'll close with this. Paul, he continues in Philippians chapter three, verses 10 through 11. And he says, I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see, the common denominator in these verses the common word is is experience and i'm not talking about just going to experience a a movie or or experience a a service no but i'm I'm talking about experiencing god you see paul had an experience on the road to damascus and it changed his life you see knowing christ knowing christ jesus is experiencing his life-changing power in our own life. It's experience God's life-changing power in your own life. And so I'll bring us back to the, the original question I asked us. What is the most valuable thing you own? What is the most valuable thing on this earth? I would say the most valuable thing is knowing Jesus on a faith level. Right. It's knowing Jesus on a faith level. Who here would say maybe you've, you've put a price tag on salvation and you've been trying to earn it yourself and you need to rely more on, on what God has done, what Jesus did on the cross. Around on this room, anyone, anyone with me that maybe has tried to earn their salvation too often. Yeah, I just would like to pray for us, if you'd pray with me. God, I just thank you so much for what you've done on this cross. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, everybody watching, Lord, that we would remember that Jesus, he sacrificed everything for us. It's not about the price, Lord, it's about the sacrifice. And I pray that when we get in that earning mentality, Lord, when when we try and earn our salvation, that that we would repent from that. Lord, and we would trust in you and have faith in what you did on the cross. Lord, and we would remember that the, the most important thing, the most valuable, priceless thing in the world is knowing you on a faith level. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.